You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Dash. This is the third time this year you've been sent to the office. We need to find a better outlet. A more constructive outlet. Maybe I could if you'd let me go out for sports. Honey, you know why we can't do that. I promise I'll slow up. I'll only be the best by a tiny bit. Dashiell Robert Parr, you are an incredibly competitive boy. And a bit of a show-off. The last thing you need is temptation. You always say, do your best, but you don't really mean it. Why can't I do the best that I can do? Right now, honey, the world just wants us to fit in. And to fit in, we just gotta be like everybody else. But Dad always said our powers were nothing to be ashamed of. Our powers made us special. Everyone's special, Dash. Which is another way of saying no one is. Welcome to the 602 Club, coming to you from a very secret island in the middle of nowhere of the ocean. That's right, we've got our secret lair set up, and we're not gonna tell you where it is, although... Volcano is really heating up. I'm excited to be here tonight because we're going to do something we've never done before. And we're going to talk about a Pixar movie. And that is because The Incredibles 2 is coming out soon. And, well, I just I wanted to talk about The Incredibles and The Incredibles 2. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm really excited to have with me to talk about it, Christy Morris. Hey, thank you for having me back. Well, you know what? It's it's so funny because I was thinking about this just a few seconds ago. As I introduced you, I'm like, you're kind of the perfect person to have on because we talk about all the Bond movies together. And this movie has so many connections with Bond-type feels. So, I mean, perfect to have you on to talk about it. Absolutely. And not only do I love Pixar, but I love... Like you said, Bond movies and the music from this movie makes it feel like it's a cartoon Bond movie. So I'm excited to get to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But but before we dive in, of course, just a reminder, you can find us everywhere. You get your podcasts. But while you're looking for places, um, one of the best places is over on Apple Podcasts. and, And while you're there... Do hit us up with a star rating and review. It is the perfect place to find us. Um, And it really does help other people find the show. You know, there are a lot of shows that are kind of be similar to the 602 Club. If you like the show, let other people know what you think and help other people find the show by giving us the star rating and the review there on Apple Podcasts. And that will let everybody know what you think. And I'll definitely call you out. I'll I'll say thank you to you on the show when you do that. So uh, you can also find us, again, wherever you get your podcasts. So anywhere you, you can find podcasts, any podcast catcher, you can find us. Uh, now, you can also find us on Twitter, at TrekFM. Make sure you're following us there. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM, where you should be liking us. We've got the website at trek.fm. While you're over there, you can also go to trek.fm slash contact. You can choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and you can write us an email. 
And if you would like to join in the conversation with all of the people that listen to this network and all the different shows that are going on, go over to the Babel Conference, which is on Facebook. You can type Babel into the search field there on Facebook, or if you're on the website at Trek FM, any of the show pages, there's a discussion link. Hit that, and that will bring you over there, and we can let you in the group, and then you can talk with everybody. So one of the things, Christy, for me that, uh, especially with re-watching this movie that was so interesting, is the way that the film itself sets up the story. And I thought it was really interesting that what we get at the beginning is a world that accepts superheroes. Like, everybody's okay with superheroes, and it's it's kind of almost like the golden age of comics. Like, you know, a superhero shows up in town. Everybody loves that superhero. Everybody's and, saved and they're good to go. Yeah, yeah. And and then, like, as time has gone on, more and more, quote unquote, reality has crept in. And, and it happens in this movie. All of a sudden, superheroes start getting sued, right? And they have to stop being superheroes. They have to basically go into hiding. And I just thought that was such an interesting thing to start out this movie with. Because it's like, I don't know, it's almost like this sense of hope to kind of like slowly sliding into cynicism that we see. And it's almost like, a, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it felt like Watchmen for kids in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've never actually seen the movie Watchmen or read the comic, but I've heard a little bit about it. And I get what you're saying, though, with that theme of sliding into cynicism. For me, even, it kind of follows what I think of as the ideal comic timeline, where it feels like comics, when they originally began, were very lighthearted and positive and taking what was happening in the world and putting it into a so-and-so mm -hmm. shows up to save the day. Um, it's sort of like when um, Superman first came out. Yes. And then along the way, it's turned much more into, well, what if this happened? How would the heroes respond to that? And, you know, in this situation, I guess the writers were exploring what if someone, you know, was lived in a world where the Good Samaritan Clause didn't exist and he's saving someone from committing suicide and yet he gets sued for breaking the guy's neck or whatever. It's so unfair, but then you have to think of it from the guy who he hit perspective, too, um, I guess, in a way. He didn't want to be saved, so maybe it wasn't Mr. Incredible's business. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to me because I really do think it shows a lot about how the world has progressed, the mm -hmm. fact that we've kind of gone from a world where, like, you were talking about, like, Superman in the beginning, like, you know, he would save people, and, like, everybody just kind of accepted him, you know? Yeah, like, he could do and, no wrong. Right, exactly. And now everything is questioned. Like, everybody's motives is mm -hmm. questioned. We don't trust anyone or anything, and we always think the worst of people. And so that's the thing that I, th I find so interesting is that the, this movie really plays that out. And it's kind of something that, again, we, we saw Alan Moore do very darkly in Watchmen. But then it's been kind of a, a theme that's been continued. You know, we saw that kind of in, in Batman v Superman, you know, and we saw that in Man of Steel. Like people are, are people going to be afraid of this Superman? You know, how would people react? You know, mm -hmm. and 
the world now is so much different than like when you think of when the original Superman movie came out with Christopher Reeve. Like that wasn't right. even a question if people would accept him, right? But now it is this question we have. How would the world react? And it, I, I think, you know what to me, it actually, it actually makes me sad the fact that we would think that. You know, like that yeah. a hero would come on the scene and we would think the worst of him. You know, um, and that's what happens to these heroes. Uh, everybody assumes the worst and then the worst starts, uh, the worst kinds of things start happening to them. This whole, like, um, you know, Bob ends up working for the insurance company and uh, mm -hmm. the insurance guys start talking about how you can't make it through the bureaucracy. You know, like we yeah. created this world that's about only us and not anybody else. Like it's only only I matter and or our company and or our tribe and or, you know, there's like this real, we've, uh, we've become very tribalistic and very populistic and it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it's, it's seeped its way into the superhero movies and specifically here. And I just think it's really interesting that in 2004, um, this is something that Brad Bird was already thinking about with the way he's setting up the Incredibles, which is, people aren't willing to accept um people being heroic anymore like that's not something it seems yeah. like we're willing to accept now and that's so strange it's like we've been um you know convinced into believing that everybody's got a secret motive well there must be a, some reason that he's doing this it couldn't just be because he is a good person and wants to do a good thing he's got to have some flaws or some selfish reason for doing what he does and that's what I feel like his boss is essentially saying is like, what's in it for me? You know, you've got to look out for our people um, instead of just helping people for the greater good. So I feel like in a good way, what this movie is trying to say and what Brad is trying to say is that we need to get back to, no, there really was nothing selfish in it for me. I just wanted to help someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And. You know, this is something that I um, I had later on the outline, but I think, you know, it, it I think it goes to the idea of of like what it really truly means to be heroic is um, to be some somebody who where it's not about you, where you're putting right. others first. You know, like that when you watch these heroes, especially at the beginning of the movie, what are they doing? They're um, they're putting their lives on the line to make sure that the rest of the world is safe. You know, yep. they're giving up their time, they're giving up their energies, uh, and they're using those gifts for the betterment of mankind by stopping crime or making sure a train doesn't crash or any of that kind of stuff. So, or saving a cat named Squeaker. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, um, I, I, what's so interesting, too... Is that the setup also plays with this idea of it's almost like the world gets jealous of people that have specific gifts that they all would want to have. And then it mm -hmm. forces them to stop using those gifts because it makes us uncomfortable because we don't have those gifts. Yeah, it's a kind of a selfish way of looking at it because you're like, well, I'm not as smart as this guy so you know i think that he needs to tone it down 
and just be like the rest of us. <laughs> you know, it's a really narrow viewpoint where you should feel like everybody has their own unique thing to offer. And it's not that you're anything less than someone else. Um, I, I like the phrase, no one can be you but you. Yes, yes. Actually, I wrote that on the outline. I, I don't oh. know if you read it, but no, I think we're absolutely 100% on the same page. And so one of the things that I put it this way. So it seems like instead of everybody in the world in this in this universe that we have there, and I even see it in our world today, instead of everybody embracing who they are and who they've been made to be and being the incredible version of that, we've kind of embraced mediocrity in the lowest common denominator. You know, like, as Bob talks about, we've, like, we're finding new ways to celebrate mediocrity instead of greatness. And, like, you know, Dash says, um, if everybody's special, nobody's special. That's what he says to his mom, when nobody's special. But the thing about that is it's not absolutely true. Everybody is special because everybody has different gifts. Everybody is has strengths in different areas that somebody else doesn't. Because like you said, only you can be you. Mm -hmm. And so instead of us being jealous that we don't have what other people have, shouldn't our goal then be to find out what we're best at and what we've been gifted in and use that? Because... My gift, guess what? It's not being a soccer player or any kind of athlete whatsoever. You know, like <laughs> that's just not my gift. I may want that more than anything else. And yet that's not going to be my gift, you know? And so um, I just know it. But I have other gifts and I my goal is to find those, help other people have me, you know, help have other people help me find those, cultivate those and grow in that instead of being like angry because I'm not LeBron James or, or you know, David Beckham or David Beckham. exactly. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I mean, I just I think that to me, the thematic elements of this movie and what it's really driving at are very in a lot of ways, they're kind of countercultural uh, in some ways, but I also mm -hmm. think they're very counter Disney in some ways because Disney is the company that tells you you can be whatever it is you want to be, no matter what that is. Well, I mean, that's not really true, and that's not what The Incredibles is saying, right? <laughs> they're can't, they're <laughs> not saying you can be whatever you want to be. They're saying you should be who you are, whatever that is. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing. It's just different. And and like you said, surprising then that Disney puts this movie out in particular. But it's good. I mean, it, it's sort of like the way that the new Wreck-It Ralph 2 trailer pokes fun at the Disney princess thing. Because overall, all of the original princess movies were about a damsel in distress and a big strong man saving her. And so they make fun of that in that trailer. Um when the princesses are talking to Vanellope about what it is to be a princess. So in that way, I feel like it's um, Disney kind of poking fun at themselves and saying, this is something a little different you might not have expected. Yeah, it just, it was, it's a fascinating thing for me. Um, you know, and I, I, that's one of the things that I think uh, from the very beginning uh, of Pixar films, you know, they always did their own thing. They They really have had their, their own, feel to them especially when they were still their own company and Incredibles was very much I felt like 
its own deal. And it, it, it always stood apart to me. And part of that was the philosophies behind what they were saying and what they were talking about. And I just, you know, um, when they're talking about, you know, we're going to our, our son's fourth grade graduation because he's going to fifth grade. And he's like, what is the, the, why are we so this is not something to celebrate. It's just it, it's just a thing that happens, you know, like. Um, Mm -hmm. let's celebrate true accomplishment and not something that like everybody who's in the educated world should be doing. Right. Right. Like I just, I, yeah. So, um, I'm sure I'll probably get a nasty notes from parents talking about how awesome their kids, you know, fourth grade graduation was, but (laughs) you know, but you know, Um, like graduating high school is a little bigger deal than graduating fourth grade. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I think back when I graduated from grad school, um, my dad bought me a big gift because I was the first person on his side of the family who had ever graduated from grad school. That's huge. You know, you know so you know, that's something kind of worth celebrating, right? And so yeah. I think that's, that's anyway, uh, that's the kind of thing that where you really celebrate somebody's accomplishments that go above and beyond and not just like, I don't want somebody celebrating that I put my underwear on this morning. You know, it's not a big deal. I should just put my, you know, anyway. Right. Um, To me, I thought was interesting though, is the way that they have the family laid out. And then now each part of the family very much um, is, is so intertwined with what their powers are. And how those say so much about the characters. Yeah. In particular, I noticed that the most with either Elastigirl or Violet, because it's sort of like you and I were talking about before the show, Helen Elastigirl really shows that she's Elastigirl, not only in what she does as a superhero, but in showing the things that a regular mom has to deal with, you know, whether you're a single mom or, you know, a a big family, it's something that um, traditionally they're trying to show that um, a a parent goes through, that you're trying to make sure the kids don't fight. You're trying to make sure they eat their vegetables. You're trying to feed the baby and take care of the teenager. And it's a lot. And, you know, it's understandable that, one parent comes home tired from a job that they don't like because that happens, unfortunately, to a lot of people. And, you know, she's the stay at home parent. And I mean, when she's not out there saving the day, but really, once they get their secret identity, she's a stay at home mom. Um, and it just you see so much of even um, Violet in that she literally wants to be invisible in the metaphorical sense. Mm -hmm. She's too shy and unsure of herself to be confident and stand out and, you know, want to show her face around school, especially to the guy she likes, which is understandable for anybody that likes somebody. Um, But yeah, I I think that the only character I didn't identify with as much was Dash, but everybody else really. Well, and you know, uh, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> Dash is definitely a, um, it's definitely different. If you're not like an ADHD or ADD boy, um, it is definitely harder to re- relate. But I love that we have the ADD speedster. You know, uh, my mom would definitely call me that when I was a kid. I just like, I was Uh-oh. really hyper. 
And it's, which is so funny because I'm not now. I'm, I'm much more laid back in that than that. And I, I'm kind of, I, I'm much more of an introvert in this part of my life. But when I was younger, mm. I was just super hyper. Um, and my parents probably could have put me on Ritalin and stuff, but they never did. They just let it ride itself out. And so, yeah, I, I thought that that was, I loved that. I love what you said about Helen, you know, and, and, and Elastigirl, just the fact that she is somebody who, as every parent does, I love how they talk, they show this literally, her having to stretch herself to make it work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I really thought that was really well done. And of course, you know, I, I remember being a teenager and wanting to disappear sometimes. You know, you just said oh, the wrong yeah. thing in the wrong crowd, and you're just like, man, I just wish I could disappear right now. And so all of these characters really do, uh, their powers mimic their personality and what they're going through. I think that's really neat. Yeah, and I will tell you, honestly, I was a violet in middle school um, because I got braces for two years which I did not like. <laughs> I, I liked having better teeth, but I did not like having braces. I closed my mouth most of the time. And I was the kid who was very clumsy as well. So I would, like one time they were mopping the hallway at school and I didn't notice and I slipped and fell on my butt in front of the guy that I liked at the time. And it was really embarrassing. And then also at another time playing dodgeball, that was the person that knocked me out and knocked me to the ground. Oh, goodness. I know you wouldn't think that looking at what I've become today, but <laughs> it's, so true. it's so true. No, I would never have thought that, um, but I get it. Well, and, and one of the things too, I, what fa fascinated me as well is um, I feel like that they really did nail the character of Bob very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is the man who feels like he has to be Atlas. He has to hold the world on his shoulders. And, What's so fascinating, too, is to see a man who has been beaten down by the world, who feels like he can't be the best version of himself. He can't really provide for his family the way he would want, and he can't, um, he can't use the gifts that he's been given in a way that makes the most sense. And so he's a man who doesn't feel like he has um, purpose, or meaning in his life anymore. He feels like he's lost that because to so many of us, whether you're uh, a male or a female, um, how we work out the gifts we've been given in our work life and in our daily life uh, really is, is a big part of who we are. And mm -hmm. because he doesn't get to do that, um, and he he is a bit blind to the way that his family and where he can use those gifts with his family, right? And how right. important they are. He is blind to that part. But there is this whole other side of his life that has, uh, it's like he's been, you know, he's carrying around shackles, like he's been shackled, and, and, and he feels that every single day. And I felt like they got that really right. Like they really understood kind of the male psyche and, and understanding how frustrating it is if you are a man and you feel like I'm not providing for my family the way I could, I'm not, you know, providing for my wife the way I would want to, and I feel like I'm stymied from using the gifts that I've been given to really do those things. Like, I, I just, mm -hmm. it, as a guy, I totally got what they were doing with Bob, and I thought it was really smart. Um, and and it's, it's, really, it's really nuanced. And, and then, of course, the way they interact with the marriage, too. 
I thought was really mm-hmm. smart as well. I mean, you're married as well, Christy, so you understand that dynamic of where, like, when one person's really frustrated, it it has a huge impact on the relationship. Yeah, and it's nice that they show that it, although parents will have arguments, that it doesn't necessarily mean that the marriage is over. They're just saying, yes. yeah, we were having a loud discussion, <laughs> um, but we're going to work it out, you know. And um, I, I like that they show, A, um, the value of marriage in this movie and and kind of make the joke later of um, Violet saying, or maybe worse, they're married. And Dash is yes. like, oh, no, the bad guys are going to ruin their marriage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, but it's nice that, you know, she even values her parents' marriage that much that she's like, that's the biggest thing to me. We have to keep our family together. Um, and, and I love that. And I, I totally get what you're saying about where Bob is coming from, that, A, he wants to be able to just be himself B, I think everybody in some way wants to be liked and he feels mm-hmm. like the only people that like him are his family and his one friend. Yep. And that everyone else is just a jerk and doesn't appreciate him. And then he also does this job where he feels like I'm not using anything that I'm good at. It's boring. And I'm also mm. hurting rather than helping people. Um, right, right. And then has to deal with a guy that's like, 50 times smaller than him telling him what to do. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest. That's annoying. Well, and and I think, you know, that's another interesting dynamic in the film is between Bob and his boss. And you have this small little, I mean, I love the way they do it. You know, you have the small little man trying to make himself bigger mm-hmm. by hurting other people. You know, that's basically what he's doing. He's just being a complete jerk hole. Uh, because it gets him off on the power he has. That's the only power he has is to, is basically to hurt people. Mm-hmm. And he's going to use it because that makes him feel better about himself. And I love the, even the dichotomy, obviously. And you have him who's really short and everything, and he is just, he is making up for every insecurity that he has um, by being a jerk to people. And mm-hmm. um, because... He knows how cool Mr. Incredible probably really is. Like he, you know, he, he's Mr. Incredible is everything that he's not. Right. And, and again, it becomes about this thing where the way that we treat people and the way that we interact with people when it's really bad, most of the time has to do with our jealousy of them. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to want to bring them down or uh, to, our level and it and, and what it is is just mean and petty and and it's just hurtful so yeah so it's nice though that then they send this positive message through this film that basically you're it's encouraging you to to get away from that and not necessarily to just get fired or quit your job but um you know to to find a way to use the gifts that make you who you are um and, mm-hmm. and i think that something really that stood out to me i wanted to add about um what helen says to bob is this is your family and this is your life and you're missing it and she really has that aspect of carpe diem you know like yeah there may be a lot of things that you don't like about what's going on right now but 
there is this aspect that we can't change and that's time and your kids are only this age for one time. So I like that she's like, you need to be more present. Well, and, and, you know, I, I think everyone is guilty of this and I know I am myself, you know, where we get so bogged down with what's going wrong, we can't see what's actually in front of us. We can't Mm -hmm. see the gifts that are in front of us, you know, and that's a hard thing not to have happen as a human being, but, um, it is so much easier to focus on the negative. I mean, honestly, just go look at Twitter right now. Just do it. I mean, it's so easy to tear things down, but it's so much harder to start with what's great and good and beautiful and all those things. Um, yeah. and, and we Don't give just, in to the dark side. Right. Well, <laughs> and I think when you look at this movie, the, the lowest common denominator in it is people being petty and cruel. Because mm-hmm. the boss and the villain in the movie are very much the same type of person. And right. so you see that play out on both sides. And and what I feel like the movie is really trying to say to us is that is not the way to live, you know? Like, do not get wrapped up in who you're not. Mm-hmm. Enjoy who you are. Um, and live for today, because you only right. get one. Exactly. But also be the best version of you that allows you to be a benefit and a blessing to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, don't suck life out of other people. Give life to them. And that's really what we see our heroes do in the movie. So uh, I think that's really cool. And a um, couple things, you know, uh, there's not tons of Santa, but I love their friends. I love Lucius. I love Samuel L. Jackson playing this character. I think he's phenomenal. Um and just funny and yeah he is the coolest guy in the room so obviously his powers definitely come off that way as well they very much reference who he is but what a f- i mean just the five seconds what that were at his house are some of the funniest things in the movie yeah and first of all i love his super suit him as frozone i mean he looks it's funny that you also um, reminded me of this being kind of like x-men because he Cyclops looks like look. He looks like Cyclops with the the visor yes. and um I mean the color's not the same but that's fine. I like the blue and white and that like sleek bodysuit with the visor. He looks so cool. But his wife, yeah, I think him and his wife are the funniest relationship in this movie. And the fact that, you know, every time after their initial superhero stuff in the glory days when he's looking for his super suit, she's hidden it somewhere. <laughs> Yes, I love that. I think it's really funny. Um, and I thought to say, too, if there's anybody I want to give me a pep talk, it's Edna. Because the pep talk she gives to Helen is just the best. When she slaps her across the face and, you're elastic girl! It's the best. Like, it's, uh, I mean, she should just be giving pep talks to everybody. Yes, and she should also be making everyone's clothes because she can make them flame-proof, bulletproof, stretch resistant <laughs> but yeah edna is my favorite character in this movie by far um and it, i think the thing that i still quote to this day even if i hadn't watched this movie in years was no capes yes <laughs> absolutely I, I love that and uh, you know the other thing that just before we leave kind of the family is i have to say that i really enjoy the voice cast here I think um, everybody does a really good job 
And, you know, um, that's not something that always happens with when you get, you know, really famous people that may not have done tons of voiceover work. But I just feel like, you know, Craig T. Nelson is great. I really like Holly Hunter personally. I think she's really good. And then Jason Lee as Syndrome. I mean, just just phenomenal stuff. Um, And then, hey, Brad Bird as Edna is great. Yeah, that blew my mind because I definitely thought it was a woman. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I got to give a shout out to Jason Lee because I loved him on My Name mm-hmm. is Earl. And if you guys yes. can see the evil smile I got when Matt was like as syndrome mm-hmm. Jason Lee, I'm like, I love Jason Lee. Yeah, that's good stuff. No, just a great cast. Uh, well, and, and speaking of Jason Lee and, and syndrome, I, one of the things I thought was so fun is that just where he is as a character and the fact that he's the big bad guy, I mean, he is such a Bond villain. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. I just, I absolutely adore the fact that they, that's what they did with this character. He's got a lair. He's got high tech stuff. He is smart. He wants to take over the world and he's shooting a rocket with a self-controlled robot so that he can then come in and save the world from it. Yeah. He's pretty much a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, and I thought what was most fascinating, uh, you know, we talked earlier about this idea of, you know, he wants to be Mr. Incredible. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible. Right. Um, <laughs> he wants to be something that he's not. And he is jealous of the fact that he's not. And therefore, his ho- entire life's goal becomes being what he's not. And instead of using the gifts that he's been given like he is a genius with tech mm-hmm. instead of becoming the next steve jobs he becomes a weapons dealer you know he come he basically is tony stark in in an iron man before he has his cave experience right you know he's a genius who cares nothing about anybody he only wants to be seen as being um a hero but he doesn't actually want to be a hero because to be a hero is not about yourself but it's about right. willing, being willing to be self-sacrificial and i think to me um i love that in this film like i love the way in which syndrome really is even his name syndrome um you know he is a syndrome <laughs> like he, mm-hmm. he he is somebody who has a syndrome like and it's it's being a person who can't deal with the fact that he's not somebody else, basically, that he thinks is cool. Right. And I, I like that they even have him explain in the dialogue why he became Syndrome. You know, he says, I realized... You got me monologuing. Right. <laughs> he says, I realized you couldn't count on your heroes. And that was kind of sad, but it, but it was true in the sense of, like, he needed to realize that he needed to stop always wanting to be someone else. But then he decided to go and be another person. Instead of fixing his problem, he just made it worse. Um, And he only cares about money and power and being important. He wants people to Mm -hmm. worship him rather than to be a hero. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Again, I think that's the fascinating thing to me is that this is about a character who doesn't care about others 
There's nothing about him that, that wants to be a hero for the right reasons. He just wants the fame and the glory. Mm-hmm. And instead of being somebody who's willing to save other people. And honestly, I think it's interesting because there's a there's a little part of Bob at the beginning of the film. Like you can tell that he enjoys being who he is. But what's interesting to him is that at the very beginning, he's doing that interview. He's like, you know, sometimes I just wish the world would stay fixed. That I didn't have to right. go out and save it again. Like, you know, the responsibility that he feels for the powers that he has. You know, it really, Bob feels the weight of that with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Syndrome doesn't feel any of that. All he sees is the celebrity of it. He doesn't see the sacrifice of it. And I think right. that's the thing that I really like about this movie is that to be a true hero, to be somebody who really makes a difference in the world is not somebody usually who is a person that's just all about themselves. Exactly. And I, so. and I may have said it before, but I'll say it again. I like the phrase selfless rather than selfish. And so it's really, you know, thinking about other people before you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely what Bob always did and what it, um, Syndrome never got. Well, and I mean, like, what I feel like, too, is that this, the message of this movie is exactly that the one the world needs, like, stop trying to be everything you're not and start celebrating everything that you are, and you just mm-hmm. might be happier with yourself, you know, and other people, and you'd, and, and you'd make other people happy, too, you and know, don't be mean to your fans because they might turn villain on you. This is true. This is true. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, the way, I mean, this movie is very much about the way you treat people. And in the end, Bob realizes that he didn't treat Incredible Way the way that he should have, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in that situation, Incredible Way almost killed a bunch of people because of his actions. Right. Right? Um, But we can tell that Bob didn't, go back and then have a conversation with him and try to make him understand or anything because then, of course, everything else happens. He goes into hiding, all that jazz. But you see the responsibility, and that's the other thing I think I love about this movie is that Syndrome is not responsible with the power that he has. He's become Mm -hmm. a multi-billionaire because of his weapons tech, but he's not responsible with it. You know, he's, one, creating weapons, um to sell the people to make more money so that he can have this power. And again, I think that's the thing that we see with the, the people that were heroes like Bob and Helen and, and um, Lucius, they were responsible with the power that they had. They tried to use it only for good and responsibility is something that's not really in vogue these days. So, yeah. And I, I got one other thing from this that I, it's kind of cheesy, but I was like, well, I think it's a good message was that there is the um, dichotomy, I guess is the right word, of syndrome basically being rich in wealth, but he is mm-hmm. all alone on this island and just has his guards and his woman that runs things. And then there's Bob, who, although he doesn't have the wealth in money that syndrome has, he has the wealth in family. 
and that that's what really matters and that, you know, you have to have people to get through life with. Yes. Yeah. No, that's huge. I really like that because I think that is one of the most important things about this movie. Like, life is not worth living without people. And that's the thing that we see that Bob was missing when Helen tells him, "You're, you're, it's your family and life and you're missing it. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's thinking about the things that he doesn't have at the moment. And again, that's what, what where him and the villain actually share some things because they're wrapped up in what they don't have instead of what they do have. Right. Um, and it's just a miserable existence, you know, like it. And I again, I, what I loved about watching this movie is just how much the themes are so reticent and so they're so applicable to, to my life. You know, like, how many times do I get wrapped up in what I don't have and, oh, I'm not like this other person? And instead of being okay with who I'm made to be and trying to be the best version of that, but not just yeah. for myself, but for those around me. And when we think that way, I think it's just so much better. It's so much better for everyone. You know, I mean, I again, I just call out, look at, look at Twitter, you know? Are you being responsible with the words you use? Are you being responsible for the way you interact with people? Um, are you being uplifting instead of discouraging? Are you tearing down instead of building up? Like, who are you and who do you want to be? And this movie really challenges you to think about that. And I think, man, talk about a great movie for kids that's not dumbing down lessons. I love it. Right, and doesn't have humor that would just completely go over their head. I think it's just continuously driving home these lessons that it's teaching kids who do you want to be and pushing that forward and it and it overall has a positive message when you come out of it. Yeah, it reminds me of the Switchfit song with This is your life. Who do you want to be? Exactly. You know? So I love that song. <laughs> yeah, I it's exactly what this movie is asking you. So Kind of lastly here, you know, I think one of the things that I love so much about this film is the look and the feel and the music. Um, I respond so well to the fact that they kind of meshed James Bond with a superhero film. Like, you know, the family is pretty much the Fantastic Four. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's got it's kind of an X-Men vibe. But then, you know, it's also got Brad Bird loves the 60s retro feel. And they get that with the music. You get that with the design of things is the world design. Um, yes, this feels like a fantastical, incredibly fun 1960s James Bond superhero movie. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think that the two big things that stood out to me were the music, first and foremost, has that feel of like a classic detective movie and and some themes that may have come directly from Bond. Um, And then also in the animation, first of all, Pixar, just what they do, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It looks so realistic, especially in this movie. And I like the way that they do the bright colors and shadows and things um, that make it feel like that retro feel again. Um, So it's not just the music, it's also the animation. And then the humor also, I've got to add, of a lot of the moments in the movie. I love when Elastigirl has like one leg caught in one door, her waist caught in another door, and her head caught in the last door. Like, she just, poor thing. And she figures it out. Yes. 
one of my other favorite tiny little moments with her is when she passes the mirror and she literally oh, yeah. does the um the uh Tinkerbell thing where Tinkerbell like looks at her hips and like is not mm-hmm. happy with what she sees. She's like like oh, I just man. I think that's a funny great that's a great Disney reference that they use. Um, but yes, I absolutely love that moment. And then when her backside comes flying and just like knocks that guy out who's right, right there, it's just it's just so funny. Yes, this movie is so well done with the humor and everything there. And I I think one of the interesting things about it too is is how well the the writing is done so that the humor of the movie plays out so well with what's happening. You you it's it never does feel like they're really just going for the joke. It just feels mm-hmm. organic to what's happening. And that's such good writing. Right? Like the kids even fighting at the dinner table was yes! my favorite part because my sister is five years younger than me. We had those kind of arguments, even though we mm-hmm. were both girls. She'd eat if we were having Tony loaf. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just you're you're petty like that when you're kids and you love to be like your face. You know, it, it was yes. perfect. Um. Yeah, I mean, th- the thing about this movie, too, like you called out the animation and, and I remember seeing this back in 2004 and, and they really did. They stretched what it meant to do a, a CG animated movie here, you know. It's just big. It's bold and it's fun. And and they do such a great job with that. But I think, you know, the thing that I always respond to when I see this movie the most is is the thematic elements and how Brad Bird is not afraid to make a movie that really is trying to say something. Mm-hmm. Um and he wraps the message up so well in here that it all just flows together. It never feels preachy. It just feels um, perfect, and I love that. And and it's it's a, it's a real testament to what Pixar was able to do, especially in those early years, which is really create movies that transcended what you thought of as animated films. Mm-hmm. And I forgot to mention our um, one remaining character that got his shining moment for the first time, Baby Jack Jack. Mm-hmm. who at the very end got to show some of his powers, which apparently include becoming a ball of lead, becoming a little pink-looking devil, <laughs> um, turning himself into a human torch, um, and apparently he can also disappear, which we are looking forward to seeing in the ne- next movie. Yes. So, yeah, if you ever get to watch the special features with the original Incredibles DVD, um, they have a short film called Jack Jack Attack. Yes, yes. No, it's it's super funny. Um, I I really do. Honestly, I could really just I could go on and on about this movie. It's just mm-hmm. that kind of movie. Um, but I'm kind of wondering for you. Where do you land on this one? Like, uh, like if you had to rate The Incredibles, what do you think you'd rate it? So that's actually difficult for me because I consider, I don't know why, but Pixar films a little bit separate from how I would rate the, you know, live action films. Um, but when I think of my most favorite Pixar films of all time, my two favorites so far have been Toy Story, of course, because it was the first and the best, but So then I think about how this compares to me to those films, and it's a little bit lower for me on the scale from them, but 
it's not because of it, it not having a good, good story. I think it just overall didn't have the characters that I love as much as I do the, the other films. So I would give it a seven out of 10. Um, but that's, you know, seven points of huge love for everything that we've talked about. And I mean, the family aspect, I think, is what stands out to me more than anything in this movie and makes you love it and have the rewatchability. Um, in addition with the humor, like we mentioned, mm -hmm. it being so easy and not forced. Yes. And especially Edna Mode all the way. Um, it's just a really good family movie anytime. So I, I still rate it high. It's just not the very top. You know, um, for me, one of the things that I meant to mention earlier that I really love about this film is the way that they portray marriage. Mm -hmm. It's so realistic. For anybody who's been married, this is very realistic. Um, marriage can be very tough. I love the way that both of these characters kind of struggle with what's happening, you know, in their lives. And it affects their marriage. You know, I love how it shows how when uh, Bob is feeling down and kind of depressed, it it affects the way that he reacts with his wife, you know, and it affects the way that he reacts with his children. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and it shows how, you know, when he's feeling great about his life, it's so much easier than to deal with the things at home, you know? <laughs> like, um, and, and, and I think you see that for her too. You know, she's, she's not feeling the most comfortable because there's something off and she doesn't know how to fix it, you know, and she wants to be able to help, you know? And I think mm -hmm. the whole thing to me just is, is really wonderful. It's really well done. Um, and then too, I'm one of the few times I feel like in an animated feature where we, really hint at that a married couple has a pretty physical relationship. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. She keeps pulling him back yeah, in every time he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, but I think that's, that's wonderful too, because it shows the joy of marriage and, mm -hmm. and the ups and the downs. And I think that's important. Like you said earlier, we've got a marriage here that's not perfect, but one that's willing to work through the imperfections because no marriage is ever going to be perfect and no relationship is. So altogether, I think for me, coming through this movie, it is absolutely my favorite um, Pixar movie. It, it, it always has been since it came out. Mm. And it stayed that way. I mean, it re I reconfirmed that the other night. So to me, um, this is a rare 10 out of 10, you know. Wow. Uh, and and. Incredible feats. I mean, it's just, it's, <laughs> which is an incredible feat for it to still be that way. You know, Pixar's had some amazing films. So, but this one to me has always been the top. And it's the one that I'm always like, why have they not made a sequel to? Well, it's coming. So I'm really right? excited about that. 14 years later. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm just glad it's happening. So um, hopefully it'll be awesome and we'll be talking about it here in the next couple weeks when it comes out. But, um, you know, so glad that we get to talk about these things with uh, people like you, Christy. Um, we get to do that because of Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They've been supporting this show for the longest time, almost as long as it's been on, and they do that through Patreon. Now, the reason they do that and what Patreon is is it's a way that you can support the Track FM network and make sure all the shows keep coming to you each week. 
because this is one expensive enterprise. There's no way we could do it by ourselves um, with all the shows we've got coming to you, all the bandwidth we have to pay for. So make sure you go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can see how you could be part of the team. Every little bit helps. We do have some contribution levels where they get you different perks. We love giving back to you. But again, if you want to help us and make sure all of this programming keeps coming to you each and every week, ad-free, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. Um, Christy, I am, I always love podcasting with you and this was a real blast and a real joy to be able to do. Um, but you've got a lot going on. So let everybody know where they can find you and what you've got happening. Thank you so much. I love podcasting with you too. And I'm really lucky that um, Matt trusted to bring me in a while back on the 602 Club to start reviewing the Bond films with he and John Champion here. Um, So we'll be doing some more of that. And I also um, am on the um, Galactic Fashion Podcast co-hosting with my friend Teresa Delgado. Um, Once a month, we go through all of what's new in geek fashion. So be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Galactic Fashion on Twitter and Galactic Fashion Pod on Instagram. And then you can find me on both of those areas as well at Bespin Bell, B-E-L-L-E. So I'd be happy to talk to you about everything. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and definitely check out all the stuff Christy's doing. It is really fun. Um, I love, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not the like biggest, you know, female fashion person, but I do love following all the stuff because I love seeing what her universe is coming out with. So, um, And our universe, there's stuff for guys yeah, now. Yeah, I know. There's stuff for guys now too, which is great. It's just great. And, you know, I just happened to bump into Miss um, Ashley there at uh, the bookstore because she came for a book signing. And we were talking about that whole thing. And she said this summer, they've got a line of Clone Wars stuff coming out for men and women. So, yeah, I'll be buying all of that. (laughs) um, Definitely, yeah, check me out. Uh, You can do that on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm over on Instagram under the same name. Of course, I'm here on the network talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine with Chris Jones uh, on The Orb. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network having a lot of fun with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. If you haven't checked out Aggressive Negotiations, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to. Um, It is literally nothing but pure Star Wars goodness every week. We just talk about the things we love about Star Wars. Um, When we're critical, we try to be nice about it. Um, So it's just, it's a lot of fun. You know, we, I mean, Star Wars is meant to be fun and we have fun with it. So... You can also check me out doing uh, Owlpost with Drea Kaufman. I love doing that show with her. It's so much fun walking through each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. So check that out. And then last but not least, uh, I really enjoy getting to talk with my friend Courtney over on Cinema Stories. And we just talk about films, but through the lens of faith. So uh, you can find those podcasts wherever you get your podcasts for Christy and I. So make sure you're checking those out, giving them reviews and stuff, listening to them. And thank you so much for joining us. Andy, I'll come back now. You're here.